the caution that people always give is like, well, what about the pre-com, right? You can get pregnant from the pre-com. Welcome to Cringe Watchers, a podcast where we invite our expert friends to binge watch TV and talk about sex. For this episode, we watched Bridgerton and asked Dr. Rachel Jones, does pulling out really work? Okay, so Layla, I have to ask, this week, are you binging or are you cringing? I think actually this week I'm binging. It's been a long time since I found a new show, but I just started this Netflix show, The One. Have you seen it? I haven't. It is actually a show I found through another podcast because the lead actress, Hannah Ware's sister is Jessie Ware, the singer, and she and her mom have a food podcast I love. So they've been talking up the sister. I started a few episodes. It's set in the near future. And this evil scientist woman has designed a dating app that matches you with your soulmate, supposedly based solely on your DNA. Oh, yes. Can I sign up for that service? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I mean, the one of the things they talk a lot about is the divorce rate and breakup rate because you leave the person you're with. Oh, But anyway, Lori, this week, are you binging or are you cringing? I'm cringing this week, Layla, because Uh-oh. here's what I need. I need everybody to stay away from my girl, Megan the Stallion. All the pearl clutchers need to stop putting their respectability politics onto my girl. She had an amazing Grammy performance and part of it, of course, included performing WAP, AKA wet ass pussy with Cardi B and the haters came out to play. We're all hearing about whether this was appropriate and listen, it was raunchy in all the right ways and black women deserve, you know, representation that is beyond just looking all prim and proper and being the perfect strong woman. And in the words of Marley Diaz, who posted about this on her Instagram, and she's of course the the teen uh, black actress, we are all respectable and black girls are all entitled to be whomever they want to be. So that's what I'm cringing about this week. But here, here. Thank you. My real question to you, Bridgerton, so bad it's good? Oh, I wish, I think that we need to come up with a new way to, to measure these things because there are so (laughs) many shows that I watch immediately and to completion and I carry shame, but I did, I did watch Bridgerton start to finish, ate it up like, like cotton candy. How about you? Oh, same. And the whole time I was saying to myself, why the actors, not that interesting. The costumes were pretty cool, but usually that's not enough to keep me going. But I just couldn't look away and I kind of hate myself for that. Well, there there is maybe one character in particular where I can understand why one wouldn't look away. <laughs> Fair enough. But we're here today to talk about a very serious topic, pulling out. Yes. My whole thing with pulling out is that I think it's it's misunderstood. It's the you know, middle child of sexual and reproductive health and rights. Nobody understands it. And I think that, you know, we, the reason we called our friend Rachel is because she's literally the authority on pulling out. And I have known for, for a while, ever since, ever since Rachel published some research that pulling out is almost as effective as condoms, but like nobody tells you that. 
that runs completely counter to everything I've ever learned in a health class, completely counter to our entire field working in modern contraceptions, messaging around how the only thing you should use are hormonal methods. And uh, I think there's a lot to get into here. Yeah, it kind of gets a bad rap, right? It's like you only do that if you're being irresponsible. I definitely don't get the message that pulling out is a responsible thing. It's almost directly contrasted with condom usage, condom usage being the the good thing and pulling out being the, the bad practice. And so it was really fun and interesting to speak with you and Rachel a little bit more and break down some of those dichotomies and where they might be coming from. Totally. And Rachel's going to talk to us about a commentary she wrote. She and a lot of researchers use a big national survey that happens every few years. It's been around since the 70s, where since the 70s, the government has been asking first just married women and now all people what their sex life is like, what their family life is like, what kind of contraception they use. It's like a census of sex and family. And Rachel went digging in that data and found some really interesting stuff that we talked to her about. Let's listen to our conversation with Rachel Jones. Rachel, I hope it's not weird for me to tell you that I thought of you as I was watching Bridgerton and specifically as I watched the incredibly sexy Reggae Jean Page, aka Simon, pulling out of Phoebe Dynavor, aka Daphne. I don't know if that makes you feel strange. I apologize if it does, but I covered your commentary a while ago now um, for Feministing when it first came out. And I have just always really been fascinated by the study. So I'm curious, did you watch Bridgerton? And what did you think of the show and the way that it portrayed withdrawal? Um, of course I watched Bridgerton. And admittedly, it's been at, probably at least a month um, and I did not have time to go back and rewatch. But I did remember that episode and when he pulled out and she was like, is that painful? Because, <laughs> right? And he said no. Whereas we know in real life, a lot of guys are like, well, it's not the best thing. But, you know, I mean, and if you think back about, you know, that time period, that really was one of the few methods for pregnancy prevention that were available. Wasn't surprised to see it. And, you know, a lot of the the portrayals of sexuality in there, you know, like made you think, not even think, but you're like, oh, that's kind of progressive for that era. I mean, maybe even progressive for for our era in a lot of ways. But so if if this were real life, and, and I don't know what's happening on future seasons of Bridgerton, but uh, spoiler, she doesn't get pregnant. If this were real life, would this method last forever for them? In the world of contraception, um, they talk about typical use and perfect use failure rates. So they, they think the, the best guess or the best estimate they have, rather, is that if you use withdrawal every single time a couple has sex um, and the guy pulls out, about 3% of couples will get pregnant over the course of a year. But nobody's perfect. And so we also talk about typical use failure rates. Um, and typical use failure rate is more around 20%. And, you know, I want to put a qualifier on that is one, even our measures of typical use are imperfect and contain a lot of error or, you know, just a lot of gaps in the, in the data that's used to make them. Again, we know this from some research. When you ask people if they used a method of contraception, they'll say no. And if you're like, well, what about withdrawal? They'll say, well, yeah, we use that, but that's not a method of contraception. So when you're measuring contraception on these surveys and in using that you know, imperfect data to estimate imperfect contraceptive use, 
the typical use value rate may be a little exaggerated. Something else, another study that I came across, it was in England, it was a fertility clinic, and they sought to answer the question. I don't know that it was driven by interest in, you know, pulling out as a contraceptive method, but they said, oh, because the question or the, the caution that people always give is like, well, what about the pre-com, Right. You can get pregnant from the precom, and yeah, so this definitely a threatening theme of the <laughs> classes I attended, <laughs> right? And people just like to say precom um, as well. So they tested the precom of these men who were coming into a fertility clinic, and you know it was a small sample, probably twenty something, thirty something people, not representative of who knows what it was representative of. But what they found, I think it was that about thirty percent of men consistently had, and they had multiple, two samples, at least two samples from most of them, consistently had sperm in their precum, and the other ones did not. So it either seems like you have it or you don't. And of course, you know, who's going to get tested to figure that out? So you just kind of have to assume that there is sperm in the precum, but they did acknowledge, you're like, but it's just a tiny amount. Um, and sure, it only takes one sperm, but you know, the reason pregnancy happens is because there's so many and it increases the odds of getting to the egg. Personally, I'm surprised that men haven't been able to take that and run with it and start bragging. Like my precum has sperm in it. You know, I feel like that could be a rap lyric tomorrow. Um, so I want to ask you about the couples using withdrawal today, because one thing that I noticed in the show is because Daphne is obviously a lady. She has never heard of sex. She does not know how babies are made. And she is not able to realize that there's anything at all weird or amiss about Simon pulling out. She actually just thinks that's how sex goes. And so when she learns what he's doing, she feels betrayed because it means that he could have a baby with her, but he's choosing not to. But based on your understanding, is that at all how couples use the withdrawal method today? What strikes you as like a more realistic scenario in 2021? So that was, you know, part of the plot there, right? Is that she didn't know anything about sex and contraception. So didn't realize that that's what was going on. Although we all knew that. No, again, we did ask research. So I can say, you know, we did our own study. There was a national survey of family growth. We said, well, let's do our own study. Um, and it was about 3,000 people across, uh, women across the United States. Um, and we asked about hormonal methods separately because people can use those for a variety of reasons. Um, and then we said, well, what about the last time you had sex with a man? Did you use any of these? And we put withdrawal first. Um, and we found about as many people reported withdrawal as reported using condoms. And we thought, oh, is that because we put it like first on the list so that people didn't check off condoms and and move on. But we didn't, we're like, I don't know, that just doesn't seem right that a third of people reported using withdrawal and a third reported using condoms at some point during the last month. Maybe they're interpreting it differently. So this was a longitudinal study. And so we went back to these same people six months later to ask them a lot of the same questions. And we added a new one in there that said, so why are you using withdrawal to prevent pregnancy, to prevent STIs, some other reason. And we also let them put a, a box for people to write in the responses. And over 90% said, to prevent pregnancy. Some, you know, there was a little bit of STIs and then, you know, some of the write-in responses, um, you know, a range of positive to like, because it's sexy, um, because this is what, you know, you see them do in porn um, to responses like, because he's an asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, right. So unhealthy relationship dynamics, inner sex and withdrawal use as well. 
I, ha- I never thought about porn being one of the drivers because my first thought when I when I saw your findings was, OK, but yeah, who's using withdrawal? It, it must be people who don't really care if they get pregnant. It must be couples who are in long term relationships. It's not it's not like a one night stand method. Right. You know, and there were some people in um, in adolescent, you know, reproductive health, sexual health circles in particular, who are like, this is all kids, like they're not getting any sex, not Bridgerton necessarily, but they're not getting any sex education at home. They're turning to porn and they think this is what you're supposed to do. It might not even be to prevent pregnancy, um, but we haven't found any indication that that's what's going on. And again, you know, our data set where we asked about withdrawal first and then condoms, it looked like when we took a closer look at like who's using what and how are they using it, like there's two different profiles. So the first is a little more than half of people or maybe even two thirds of people that were using withdrawal reported using some other method, usually uh, the pill or condoms. Um, And this group tended to be younger, to not be married or cohabiting and to not want to get like be very clear, like I do not want to get pregnant right now. Then the other group were people who only used withdrawal and they tended to be older, married, and they weren't trying to get pregnant because we dropped those people out of the analysis. But they were like, "Eh, it's not that important that I don't get pregnant right now. Um, So it seems like, you know, there's a continuum of withdrawal users. I know your colleague, Laura Lindbergh, wrote a piece about sex ed in Bridgerton. Did you read that? I did. And have you guys discussed Bridgerton? Um, She's the one that actually motivated me to watch it because she said, no, it hits on on so many of the sexual and reproductive health issues. Um, And there was even self-managed abortion or, you know, an attempt at a self-managed abortion in there. (laughs) And it really did hit on a a lot of different issues. I've never seen someone get so excited about (laughs) (laughs) self-managed So, Rachel, I have a question for you about vindication (laughs) and revenge. (laughs) Because I remember that your commentary was controversial. And when I covered this for Feministing, you know, we were talking about how it wasn't only the substance of the studies that you were looking at, but it was actually your morality that was on the line. How dare you discuss withdrawal publicly in this way and um, imply that it was a responsible or effective, you know, means of pregnancy prevention. And there was just this idea that this was really irresponsible. And I I went back and looked and I hadn't remembered this detail. You made the despicable section of New York Magazine's approval matrix, which <laughs> I find, you know, honestly, very impressive. Um, I think I remember you're, that. I know personally who, who has done that. Um, and I'm just curious, do you feel like the discourse has shifted since then? I think it's been about 10 years. Or do you feel like we're kind of still in a little bit of this same rut when it comes to discussing the pullout method? You know, that is a good question. I can say that in my reproductive health circles um, that there is more acknowledgement uh, that it's used and that it can reduce the risk of pregnancy and that, you know, especially if you're a healthcare provider talking with people about these things, you need to discuss it. I have a feeling kind of like in the real world, um, and especially when it comes to like sex education of adolescents, that it's still taboo and it's still don't use it. And it's still, you know, the pre-comes got sperm and, you know, also with adolescents, um, STI is um, perhaps more on the radar. Um, 
to to go with. But I do remember specifically, you know, people were like, well, it's just irresponsible to talk about that with adolescents. If you give them the idea that it's going to reduce pregnancy, they're going to use it. And I, you know, the parallel for me, it was like, well, that's the same thing with abstinence. Like you used to say, you know, you can't do abstinence or the abstinence people would say, but if you teach people about contraception, then they're going to start having sex and use it. Well, I mean, that argument didn't work with supporting abstinence. I don't think it should work with supporting not talking about withdrawal either. Maps to that. Totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you need to do a follow-up study because that's where I think <laughs> that's where long-term couples come into play because the people who are relying on it are people who trust each other, who are communicating, mm-hmm. can sense each other's signals. Right. That's, exactly. my, that's my huge assumption. I'm just declaring. <laughs> exactly. In the last year, women of color have experienced the greatest job losses, with those from Black and Latinx communities hit hardest. Hot Bread Kitchen, an NYC-based nonprofit, has worked to create economic mobility for individuals disproportionately impacted by gender, racial, social, and or economic inequality for over a decade. Hot Bread Kitchen is continuing to invest in the talent and long-term potential of historically excluded essential workers and food entrepreneurs through their workforce development and small business programming. Here's what one of the small business members, Fauzia, of Fauzia's Heavenly Delights has to say. The sense of helplessness we felt during the first couple months of the pandemic has transformed into optimism about the growth of our business with Hot Bread Kitchen's continued support. Join Hot Bread Kitchen in investing in recovery for women and small businesses. You can learn more and support their work at hotbreadkitchen.org and follow them on social media at Hot Bread Kitchen. Rachel, we have uh-huh. a final rapid fire round. I'm just going to throw a couple questions at you and you can just answer as quickly as possible. Okay. Great. We'll start with lower level. What else are you watching right now? Anything good you want to tell the people about? No, and I'm even, I don't want to say I'm embarrassed, but I'm watching The Crown. Okay. Why is that embarrassing? It's very highbrow. <laughs> Yeah, I just feel like there's such dull people. Like, it's a good history lesson for me. I knew nothing about royalty and the role that it played. So, And there's only a little bit of sexual and reproductive health stuff in there, so far, anyways. This is a shame-free zone. We're all about (laughs) guilty pleasure, the guiltiest of pleasures. Okay. Do you have a favorite sex scene from film, TV, or even a novel? Don't be shy. Yeah, I don't, um, a favorite sex scene, you know, I can't, I used to have an Anais Nen book and I would just pull and open to random pages because (laughs) that's what, and I don't actually, you know, I never sought out any specific, um, there were just a whole range of sexual activities, um, that took place in, in those. So I try to be appreciative of a wide range. Um, there is no favorite that comes to mind for better or worse. I love that framing, appreciative of a wide range. <laughs> well, Rachel, we, I, first of all, I so appreciate that you came and you shared all of your pull-out method guru knowledge. Oh, happy to have the opportunity to talk about it again. It's been a long time. You are our 
our withdrawal wizard. Thank you for doing this and for sharing your knowledge. And we appreciate it. We focused on pregnancy prevention, but to be clear, pulling out does not protect against most STIs, aka sexually transmitted infections. And as always, this podcast is not meant to provide medical advice. There's also a whole world of pulling out we didn't really get into that has nothing to do with contraception, including how queer couples use it. Thanks again to our guest, Rachel Jones, for sharing the science behind pulling out. You can follow Rachel on Twitter at RachelJ5. If you liked the show, please rate us and tell your friends. And you can always tweet at us at CringeWatchers or email us at CringeWatchersPod at gmail.com with story advertising or partnership ideas. We love those. Our editor is Karen Y. Chan. Judith Walker created our logos and cover art. Our ad music is by Siddhartha Corsis. Dallas D.L. Engram created our theme song. And that's it for now. Thank you for cringe-washing with us. 